Looking for a great dining experience in Charlottesville? Look no further than the Aberdeen Barn. The barn has been family owned and operated since 1965, with Terry and Angela providing great atmosphere and mouth-watering food at Virginia's big time steakhouse. Enjoy the fine dining or relax in the Sportsman's Bar, a fantastic place to wind down and socialize, surrounded by flat screen televisions tuned to the latest sporting events. You never know who you might bump into at the Aberdeen Barn, where all the greatest Cavaliers have dined over the decades and keep coming back for the delicious menu and good times. Check it out online at AberdeenBarn.com or call 434-296-4630. Hey, this is Thomas Q. Jones, former UVA All-American running back, and you're listening to The Jerry Ratcliffe Show. Wahoo wah. Welcome to the show. I'm Chris Graham. Uh, this is the Jerry Ratcliffe Show, and it's Friday. Uh, we delayed a day to uh, try to get some news in about the baseball team. We'll talk baseball a little later in the show, but Jerry, we'll start with your uh, your update earlier this week on Jaron Stevenson, the five-star recruit that Virginia's been um, uh, working on, uh, among other schools who've been working on this young man. Uh, what's the latest on Jaron Stevenson and, and, and whether or not he'll reclassify, what his plans might be for next fall? Well, Chris, uh, I think a lot of it's still up in the air. Um, Stevenson, the 6'10 power forward, number one power forward in America in his class of 2024, although he's strongly considering reclassifying to this class. Um and he doesn't have much time to make that decision. So uh, he apparently he played in a um, EBYL uh, tournament last, uh, not this past weekend, but the one before. Uh, uh, as far as I can gather, he visited North Carolina over the weekend, which would be his last official visit. Um, a lot of people believe it's going to come down to Carolina and Virginia. And uh, some people think that he may be leaning toward Carolina. So um, he was asked about all that after the tournament that he participated in. And he said that he hopes to make his decision on whether to reclassify by the end of his school year, which is June the 9th, uh, coming up quickly. And if he does decide to classify, which he uh, flat out said that he was very interested in doing because he's ready to make a step up in competition. Um, it, 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 you know, if he makes that decision on June 9th, uh, I don't know when Carolina starts their summer program academically, but Virginia starts its, I believe, on June the 16th. Um, so <laughs> what a quick turnaround that would be should he uh, choose UVA. And, and I assume Carolina is probably has something similar to that. So it's going to come fast and furious for the young man and his family. And um, he's also considering Alabama, Missouri, and Georgetown all three of which he visited earlier. Um, but it sounds like he really wants to uh, play college ball this coming fall. 
And um, again, it, it, to me, it, it just everything I've read and seen and, and talked to his father uh, seems like it's Virginia or Carolina. Um, his dad raved about Virginia. The, the couple of things that he said that stuck out to me was the one he wanted to send his son somewhere where he could develop into an NBA player. And certainly uh, that's Virginia's MO. Uh, they've developed a lot of NBA guys in the past 10 years. The other thing is that he wanted his son to go somewhere that not only could he develop, but he would be given the freedom to show his all-around talent. That makes you wonder a little bit if that is against Virginia because obviously their guys don't get as much freedom as some other programs, I don't, I don't believe. Uh, it's more of a structured offense and as opposed to somewhere like Carolina. But um, so I, I think it's all kind of 50-50 right now and uh, what direction this kid may go. Yeah, what I'd throw out is if I'm recruiting against Virginia in this one, I'd say, uh, you know, the bigs there set screens and and rebound and play defense a lot and and maybe don't have the freedom to play offense. If I was recruiting against North Carolina, I'd say, um, their bigs do well in college and don't translate the game to the NBA. A lot of them don't even get a chance at the NBA because of that. So, um, yeah, it's a. I, I guess I sound like I'm recruiting against both of them um, in that sense. Um, <laughs> maybe you're in Alabama. Maybe I'm in Alabama. You can where, come here and you can do it all. <laughs> well, if I'm if I'm recruiting against Alabama, I, I advise your uh, your son to bring a gun with him to come. To school. <laughs> um, if I'm recruiting against Georgetown, I say they haven't won double digit games in years. And I, I, if I'm recruiting against Missouri, I'm saying does Missouri still play college basketball at the at the Power <laughs> Five level? Um, so yeah, I think they can all cancel out each other. But uh, yeah, you're right. The uh, the uh, timeline is coming up. I know the second session, like you said, for, for Virginia summer school is June 16th. Um, but you got to say this, if a young man has enough high school credits to graduate, what good does it do him to stay another year in high school? It's time to move on. Um, yeah. I think that decision is probably already made. It's more just a matter of where he's going to go as opposed to what he's going to do. It just from a, from a uh, academic standpoint and from an athletics development standpoint, it doesn't do you any good to play another year of college, uh, high school basketball. Go ahead and go to college. I think you're right. And I, th I think he probably has made that decision. Every quote I've seen from him and his father um, sounds like they're ready to make the jump in competition. Um, even his dad said he's, he's the best player by far on the high school basketball team that his father happens to coach. So uh, I don't know that he's would get much out of another year of high school ball. So I expect him to make a decision sometime maybe before June 9th on, on what he's going to do. And he may already have his mind made up as to where he's going to go. We don't know that, but uh, you wonder um, if Virginia might've heard something because uh, I've seen where Virginia has reached out to uh, another kid who is, who entered the transfer portal on May 11th. Uh, but I think he is also uh, in the NBA draft. And that's 
Julian Phillips, a rising sophomore uh, power forward, 6'8", 200 pounds uh, from Tennessee. And um, he has three years of eligibility left. And there was about 25 or 30 schools that hopped on him immediately, including Virginia and Kentucky just jumped in, uh, who was the kid's uh, favorite team growing up in high school. But uh, if Virginia is reaching out to this kid, that makes you wonder if they feel like they're going to get Stevenson. And it makes you also wonder if Reese Bickman is going to be coming back. Um, not that that Reese is a, plays the same position, but it just sounds like that uh, they're still out there hunting for a potential player who can help them next year. And certainly Julian Phillips would be. He's, uh, I think he was on the SEC All Freshman Team. I'm not sure. I, I think I read that somewhere, but. Um, lots to be decided in basketball still within the over the next week or two, and um, including whether Bigman's going to stay in the NBA draft or not. So, um, still a little intrigue in hoops, Chris, and which never seems to stop. Yeah, he uh, Reese has until May 31st next Wednesday to make his final call, uh, stay in the draft, come back to Virginia. Um, you know, one thing you said there, Jerry, uh, made me think about uh, in past years, uh, Coach Bennett, uh, when he would have an extra scholarship or even two, and but he felt and if he felt like, well, my my rotation is probably pretty good now. I'll just save those scholarships and use them in future years. I don't know that that makes any sense now. That's probably why you're seeing a coach like Tony Bennett go out there, even with, uh, you know, whether he has one or two scholarships, depending on when Reese Beekman, what he, what he decides. If if Reese comes back, there's still one extra scholarship. And if Reese doesn't come back, there's two. But in this day and age, when the transfer portal is is basically free agency year to year, it doesn't do you any good to stockpile scholarships for future years because, uh, you know, the, the guys you got on your roster now might decide to leave. So if you're going to have him, you might as well use them, even if it's just for a year or two. Yeah, I would agree. And, you know, perhaps if they had used Isaac Trout um, this past season, instead of, you know, saving uh, saving him as a redshirt, maybe he would still be here. I don't, I don't know that, but something to consider. But, um, yeah, I agree with you. I, I don't, uh, the, the, with the turmoil in college athletics the way it is, I, I don't think it does any good to save – anything now it, you got to play for the moment and because you don't know what's going to happen with uh even what you think might be the most secure member of your team um from one season to the next so uh there's no reason to hold back you know trout told the athletic for a story this week um where the athletics reporters got access to tony bennett that we don't get um uh, but Trout Trout said that even if he'd played 30 minutes a game this year, he was probably looking to transfer. He was homesick. I mean, we've heard that a lot, but he confirmed, you know, once again, homesick. And, you know, Jerry, one thing I've I've heard, um, one former ACC assistant coach um, uh, was talking about this. I, I won't name him recently, um, that uh, that his school was also in on Trout. And when they went to visit Trout uh, to talk with him about, uh, you know, the recruiting process, 
that his girlfriend that he was homesick over <laughs> was there with him uh, in the living room when, you know, the, the coaching staff met with with Trout uh, in Nebraska uh, as he was being recruited. And so, you know, if if he was a homeboy, homebody, and, uh, you know, he, he had lots of great offers. He was offered uh, Virginia, Carolina, Gonzaga, Kansas, among others, lots of great offers from Trout. Uh, and also what's, what's interesting is he said in the athletic article that uh, he sees himself as much more of an offensive player. And, you know, the Virginia system is so defensive oriented that he's excited about going to Creighton because, you know, their focus is on the offensive end. You know, that seems like sort of a double miss, um, both by Virginia, not sort of maybe, you know, checking out all the boxes you need to check on Trout and, and his interest, both, you know, being homesick from halfway across the country and uh, also being more focused on the offensive end than wanting to learn the pack line and play defense, but also on, on Trout's part. I mean, you know, he didn't lose anything in this. He he got a year of college. Uh, he gets his four years of eligibility with the red shirt, but, you know, the fact he ventured halfway across the country to a place that probably wasn't a fit both in terms of his preferred style of play. And then the fact that it's halfway across the country, I don't know. It, it feels like both sides missed on that one. Yeah, it really does. I, I didn't get a chance to read the athletic uh, story. I, I I don't subscribe to that, but um, yeah, you're right. I mean, sounds like he wasn't totally uh, vetted to, to where um, they couldn't see something like this as a possible roadblock or obstacle down the down the down the road, um, you would think they would have checked that out a little more thoroughly, just to see if that might be a, a problem that would crop up in the future and and how to deal with it if it if it did. But obviously, uh, that didn't happen. Yeah, I'm wondering if if Isaac Trout and Leon Bond might be the last guys to redshirt. <laughs> you know? Tony's used the red shirt a lot in past years, including with DeAndre Hunter, who ended up being the number four pick in the draft in 2019. But, you know, at this stage, if you're going to put a scholarship on a kid and you're going to, you know, the school's going to commit, the athletics program is going to commit some money to putting that kid through a year of school, you might want to get something out of them, um, you know, given given the way things are going. Yeah, no question about it. No question. So um, that's uh, that's basketball. And again, we're waiting on the Reese Beekman news. We'll be waiting on the Jaron Stevenson news. Uh, we could have some well, we'll have to have Beekman news one way or the other between now and next Wednesday. Um, we could get some news soon as well on Jaron Stevenson. So we'll be uh, keeping up with uh, with all that. Um, Jerry, no news on the football front this week. Uh, let's we'll, we'll talk about the. Uh, this weekend, uh, the men's lacrosse team is in championship weekend, what uh, you could call the Final Four. Uh, three ACC teams among the Final Four teams uh, in the NCAA men's lacrosse tournament. Um, Duke, the number one seed. Uh, Virginia, the number two seed. Notre Dame, the number three seed. Uh, we know there will be at least one ACC team in the uh, final on Monday. And uh, Virginia would love to be matched up with Duke, I think, just from the standpoint of the fact that Duke has owned Virginia in lacrosse for the last several years. Uh, so, you know, don't want to look too far ahead, but uh, big weekend coming up for men's lacrosse. Yeah, uh, first they got to get by the Irish, which they have beaten twice already this year when Notre Dame was ranked number one in the country both yeah. times. Uh, so, you know, they're going to be coming with fire in their eyes trying to avenge 
those two losses and get into the finals themselves under uh, Coach Corgan up there. But um, that that should be a heck of a battle um, come Saturday. And should Virginia be able to survive that? And I would expect that, they, that Duke will win that other matchup. Um, and we all know the history, as you mentioned, between Virginia and Duke, and it's uh, obviously lopsided in favor of the Blue Devils. So they just seem to have had Virginia's number for uh, a decade or more. And uh, so that 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 has to end at some point, right? <laughs> if you're large. Yeah, because you, because you they're both such good programs. Virginia's it's not like Virginia's had, you know, Virginia won back-to-back championships 2019-2021. We still yeah. beat Duke. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, I'm interested to, to watch uh, Connor Schellenberger, a local kid, um, went to St. Anne's Belfield and has earned the nickname of Mr. May for his incredible uh, postseason numbers that he's put up the last couple of years, uh, ever since his freshman year. And um, if he can continue on the tear that he's on, uh, certainly that weighs in Virginia's favor. Um, he's a fun kid to watch. I I, I actually uh, know the family a little bit. His dad was uh, one of the best amateur golfers around Charlottesville. Uh, during his heyday, uh, I wrote much about him. Um, in fact, he won our Battle Trophy Award one year for the best local uh, amateur golfer and a uh, great guy who uh, I think was a uh, – I think he was on the Pro Mini Tour for a little while, and I, I think he might have even played some baseball at William & Mary. if if my mind can go back 20 years, um, I think that's what he told me. But uh, so he comes from an athletic family. I, I'm not sure about his mom. I know she's a strong supporter. I don't know what kind of athletic background she might have, but uh, fun for all the, the local people, uh, even those who are not uh, followers of UVA, but uh, of this local kids in St. Anne's Belfield for – Connor to be having such an incredible career. And he's one of the Tourton uh, finalists, for which is essentially the lacrosse version of the Heisman Trophy. Wouldn't it be cool to see a local kid win that? Yeah, a, a purely local kid who who talked about growing the fact that he grew up in the Charlottesville area um, is, is a big reason why he was uh, inspired to want to play lacrosse in the first place. Um, yeah, it'd be a neat story. The uh, games are uh, th- this weekend is at Linko Field, the uh, home of the Philadelphia Eagles up in Philadelphia. Uh, tomorrow's games and then the championship on Monday. Um, this is a, this is a time of year UVA lacrosse is used to being involved uh, in championship weekends. There, there's a lot of Monday uh, Memorial Day games uh, in the pe- recent past for, for Virginia lacrosse. So uh, we'll be keeping our eyes on that, keeping our tabs on that. Um, not playing this weekend, but looking forward to Monday in a different capacity will be the Virginia baseball team, brother. The Hoos were eliminated from the ACC baseball championship yesterday by North Carolina after a one and one uh, run through that uh, that field. Uh, 45 and 12 record overall. The Hoos are um, look likely. I mean, it's about as certain as you can be that they'll be hosting first weekend, uh, which will be next weekend of the NCAA tournament. 
Uh, the only question is when we as we look forward to Monday when the seeds are announced as to is whether Virginia will get a top eight seed, which is a, a distinct possibility that would give uh, the baseball program a chance if they were to win next weekend to then also host the uh, Super Regional weekend. Another thing that's you it was a rite of passage there for a while, Jerry. There were a lot of Super Regional weekends and back in the uh, 2009 to about 2015 or so era. Uh, it's been a little while since we've had one here in Charlottesville, but uh, uh, it's this is a this is a it feels familiar this time of year with Virginia baseball being uh, in this conversation. Yeah, I, I can remember all the fun uh, we had covering those regionals and super regionals uh, with uh, teams like Oklahoma coming in here. Some of their better teams in in their history. Uh, I think Oregon, Oregon State. Uh, I know Oregon State. Yeah. yeah. Um, Came in here, uh, uh, the, just really a lot of good teams over that span of time, and and who will ever forget that dramatic uh, uh, bottom of the ninth? Uh, yeah, Cal Irvine. Cal <laughs> Irvine had two outs and two strikes with nobody on base, and Virginia yeah. came back and won. I think uh, uh, Chris Taylor either. Yeah, I, I think he's the one that got the hit. To he is. He is. Run. Yeah. Uh, one of the golden moments in Virginia baseball history or sports history for that matter. Yeah. Uh, so many great moments uh, that the baseball team has provided thrills for the, um, our, our really hungry uh, Virginia baseball fandom, so to speak. I know the fans are ready to have uh, another regional back here and have something to get excited about. I imagine dish park will probably set some new attendance records, uh, <laughs> perhaps next weekend depending on the the field and everything so it we could be in store for a, a pretty neat uh weekend the loss yesterday was the first in a while virginia had won 10 straight there, there had been you know last year jerry remember the 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 who's were 26 and 3 midway through the season and then kind of struggled on the stretch actually finished 13 and 16 in their last 29 games and fizzled out in the first round of the uh uh, the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. This year's team had a five and seven stretch uh, and then went ahead and won 10 straight, including seven straight in ACC play. Um, and, and you know, so it's a solid lineup. You got the ACC player of the year and Kyle Teal, who's a guy that's looked at as a first round pick in this uh, summer's uh, MLB draft. Jake Geloff is also another guy that could be a first round pick, maybe an early second round pick, maybe compensation first round pick too. So somewhere in that range, late first round all the way to, first couple picks of the second round. Um, and, uh, you know, you've got Griffo Farrell at shortstop hitting over 400 in the leadoff spot. Uh, Ethan O'Donnell uh, coming in uh, and, and putting some big power numbers up to transfer. It's a solid lineup. They've got some pretty good pitching. And um, and, and Coach O'Connor has got the team back on track after that that midseason lull. Yeah, absolutely. They, uh, I, I, I thought it was interesting he – Talked about how, how well, I asked him in a in a sort of a mini press conference on the field uh, last Monday morning um, if he had a message for his team going into postseason play. And he said, no, he said, we really don't this year because we kind of changed that message, we advanced that messaging to a couple of weeks ago uh, when we the team decided that they wanted to start playing playoff baseball then instead of waiting until the actual playoffs and, and treat every game as if it were a 
life or death matter and pour everything they had into every game, no matter what inning, what circumstance, uh, everybody was available. All pitchers were available, whatever it took to win each individual game. And wow, that worked really well for them. Uh, like you said, rattling off 10 straight wins until they, uh, ran into a, a pretty hot Carolina team yesterday. Um, so I, I imagine that they'll just pick up where they left off and, and, uh, they're used to playing in that mode. So, uh, it won't be anything foreign to them when they host uh, their first game next weekend. So, uh, I expect, uh, we'll see some pretty intense baseball coming from the Cavaliers uh, when the tournament returns to Charlottesville at the Disharoon Park. That's right. That'll be next Friday. So a week from today, uh, we'll find out who the opponents will be on Monday as the NCAA uh, Tournament Selection Committee reveals the field and uh, the four-team double elimination tournament um, uh, group there that will that will be in Disharoon Park beginning on Friday. Uh, and then also the big question as, as to whether Virginia gets a, a top eight national seed that would give them the, the, the a chance to play all the way to, to host all the way through the College World Series. Hi, it's Jonathan Cotton with the Good Feet Store. As a lifelong runner, the pain in my feet was debilitating. Finally, I went into the Good Feet Store and found the answer personally fit art supports. They helped me so much, I ran my first marathon that year. Then, because I believed in the Good Feet system so much, I bought the store. I'm so happy to offer my hometown community the opportunity to find relief from foot, knee, and back pain. The Goodfeet Store is located in the shops at Stonefield near Trader Joe's. Book your appointment today at goodfeet.com. This is Chris Slade, former University of Virginia defensive end, graduate of 1993, back on the staff at UVA. Excited to be back coaching um, my old stomping grounds. You're listening to the Jerry Ratcliffe Show. Um. Jerry, one last thing to talk about, um, an article you picked up um, uh, going into the uh, ins and outs, the legal ins and outs of the grant of media rights that has been so much at discussion uh, as the ACC has been, um, uh, once again, the last couple of weeks, a lot of discussion uh, about whether or not the ACC will continue to be in some capacities. A lot of schools, including Virginia, have apparently been looking at that grant of media rights to see if there are any loopholes uh, and, um, so, so what's the sense just based on the, uh, t tell, tell us about the article you read that gave you some insight into that. Yeah. Dennis Dodd, who, uh, is a, a terrific college sports, uh, uh, writer for CBS, um, been a national writer for a long time, uh, had a very interesting article where he discovered that the ACC got their grant of rights idea from the Big 12 and uh, their former commissioner, Bob Bowlesby, who uh, wanted to try to keep the Big 12 together as long as he could. And uh, and he did until um, their grant of rights contract expired. And that's when Texas and Oklahoma decided to jump. Um, and... <laughs> I don't know how he came up with this. I, I don't know if it was his attorneys or or, or who, but they um, they went back to a, um, I think it's still a cost 
Texas and Oklahoma combined a hundred million dollars, um, you know, in order to leave, but uh, maybe a year early. But um, I was just thumbing through some of this article trying to figure out. Uh, uh, apparently, this uh, contract goes back to. Um, it's a federal copyright law uh, that was explained in the Big 12's contract. Uh, and it allows uh, the thing that was important about that was that any disputes would be heard in federal court in Delaware and not in a state court. So if Florida wanted to get out of the challenge the grant of rights package, they couldn't do it in the state of Florida where it would give them a home court advantage. It would have, they would have to go to Delaware and fight it in court there where they would have no advantage over the conference. Um, so that's, uh, that's why Texas didn't fight it. Uh, and that's why Florida state is not fighting it either. Uh, the big 12 legal team had the answer when the, the, 2012 TV deal was finalized. They needed a strategy that, that found a jet sweep around the 11th Amendment, which includes the concept of state sovereign immunity. It's a get this, it's a 115 year old landmark Supreme Court case, ex parte young, which circumvents state sovereign immunity to allow lawsuits in federal courts for injunctions against state officials if they act against federal law or the U.S. Constitution. <laughs> so that sounds about as ironclad as you can get. Um, and um, gosh, I lost my place here. There's something else I thought was pretty funny or pretty entertaining um, and form informative is that uh, um, where is it? I'll find it here. Okay, here we go. Uh, the Stanford Law Review called the decision the cornerstone of modern constitutional litigation. Uh, and an attorney who has viewed the Big 12's grant of rights said every state has different sovereign immunity laws, especially in Texas. It's very hard to sue a state institution like a state university, uh, ex parte young is a way to try to get around those issues. It would allow you to sue the president of a university if he tried to take Team X to another conference, violating the grant of rights. Um, challenge in a contracting court would expose a school to unknown and uncertain liabilities, both legal and financial. It would not know how much it would have to pay to get out, whereas exit fees are largely negotiable. Um, let's see. Uh, that's why Texas and Oklahoma just tried to wait out the end of the contract. Um, Bowlesby uh, hired a New York litigation firm to uh, go through their grant of rights 
contract, which the ACC essentially copied. Uh, I asked them to tear it apart, Bowlesby said. They came back and said, this is ironclad. You can take it to any federal court in the country and win. So um, I think I think as long as that is in existence, Chris, I, I don't I don't think anything's going to happen unless the ACC uh, would expand or, or something to all, uh, allow. Uh, that's the only way, apparently, that you can challenge anything is to have a new TV contract with ESPN. And uh, this thing sounds like that it's. If anything is ironclad, this really is. So, I wonder though, Jerry. I'm just gonna throw it out there. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm tapping back into my limited expertise. I have my, my undergraduate degree is supposedly in constitutional law, and that was 25. Oh gosh, it was not 25 years. It was 29 years ago. Oh my god, I'm getting old. Um, but uh, if the if the league were somehow, if members of the league were to vote to dissolve the league, I know that that's, this is not a guarantee. Um, and right now we've, we've talked about seven that look like they're interested in leaving. Uh, we've heard of the magnificent seven. Um, if there would be an ace, that would be a majority of the 15 members um, or 14, depending on how you'd have to count that out. Cause Notre Dame's not a football member. Um, if the league were to cease to be, so like you mentioned, if there was, if there, if the ACC were to expand, add another member or two, or how many ever there might might add, that would change the nature of the ACC and would change the nature of the TV contract, and that would open things up. Um, uh, team, the, the conference could expand, but also could lose members if that was the case, and maybe that's one reason we haven't seen a push to expand the ACC because of fear of what could happen if that were to be the case. But what if the eight members were to to vote? If eight members were to vote to, to, to dissolve the league, um, I think the the grant of media rights for individual members, yes, it's it's ironclad, ironclad. And unless you want to pay the, the amount of money, you'd have to pay to get out. Um, and that seems yes, it's it's prohibitive for a reason. The exit fee of three times your annual TV revenues, roughly one hundred twenty million dollars plus, you lose the right to your TV revenues until the end of the grant of media rights right now it's roughly 37 million dollars a year times 13 years you're talking that's a that's you know another at least 400 million dollars so you, you're paying you're at this stage if you if you're trying to leave this year you'd pay 500 million dollars to get out if an individual school wants to get out that's what it costs um if clemson and florida state want to get out 500 million a year then great they're getting out but how much can they make back from a contract with the sec to make that worthwhile but if the if the ACC if if the ACC were to cease to exist, that's a different issue, and I don't know that that's and I don't know that anybody's even you know you know if if they're actually anywhere close to that being a case, but it would surprise me if that wasn't a a cudgel that the the uh, magnificent seven could use if they could find if they could break one more off, um, that could be a power leverage kind of thing. Um, it's speculation, but it it you know I can see the point about. Uh, if one school wants to leave $500 million, go for it. Um, yeah. But, you know, there, there, there could be other ways. I just don't know if those other ways are, are realistic. Yeah, I know what you mean. I, and most, most athletic departments that I know of are struggling to uh, make a real profit uh, after they pay all their bills. So it's, they don't have a lot of extra money to throw around. I, Not I five hundred million, certainly. <laughs> um, and um, and it sounds like that at least 
for the meantime that some of the schools like Florida State and Clemson, Miami might be um, pacified, for lack of a better word, to with the new uh, revenue sharing plan, which was an, announced and approved by the school presidents in the league earlier this week, uh, to where they'll get a bigger share of the pie should they make postseason play in football and basketball. I guess those are the only two sports that really bring any money into the conference. So um, of those magnificent seven, uh, some of those schools haven't done a whole lot to earn extra money in uh, recent years. So, I mean, Virginia's been in the NCAA tournament a couple of times, but hasn't really advanced. And uh, some of the others haven't even made the NCAA tournament, uh, let alone do anything once they got to it. And obviously, the only school the conference has had that's participated in the playoffs is Clemson. And, um, you know, Florida State has been in a couple of decent-sized bowl games. Um, but some of these teams really haven't been in bowl games that produce much money. So uh, I don't know. There's uh, – uh, they they got what they asked for and that they're going to get more revenue sharing for them, less for the others. But uh, you're on your own in terms of making it in the postseason. Miami has probably made as much money in basketball as anybody the past couple of years. Uh, nothing in football. Yeah. And uh, so it's, it's interesting that some of these schools that have been wanting – uh, a bigger share of the pie really haven't done much to earn a bigger share of the pie. You know, the I've seen the number associated with it. It may have gone up a little bit since it was maybe last summer. There's a um, advance. Your conference gets about $2 million for every um, round of the NCAA tournament that you appear in. So, if, so if you have eight, you know, this year, I guess, Virginia, ACC had five teams. Um, you know, if, if everybody lost in the first round, you'd, the ACC would still get $10 million. Of course, Miami made the final four. Um, you know, we had a, a couple other teams advance a little bit in the tournament. Um, and that money is actually, I think, paid out over, over a four year period. So, you know, if, so this, you know, if the, if you count Miami getting, uh, 10, uh, or excuse me, five, they played five games, that's $10 million. Uh, Virginia played one game, that would be $2 million, et cetera, et cetera. You know, right now, the way the ACC does that is, let's say that total was $20 million. They split that up among all 15 schools. Um, and so you're getting $1.4, $1.3 or $1.4 million per school for that. Uh, and, and then, you know, the, you get accumulated money from past years and then going forward. But still, you're probably getting, uh, you know, maybe a total of two or two and a half, three million dollars million for your NCAA tournament. If you're Miami... And you got to the final four and you're getting to take a share of your $10 million. That's you're pretty happy with that. Uh, yeah. Uh, a bigger share of that. I don't know. I don't know if they get all of if, if this new revenue sharing agreement, you get all of that. But if you get a bigger share than just splitting it with everybody. Yeah. You're happy with that. Um, that incentivizes doing well in basketball, uh, you know, which is, is, has not been incentivized as much, certainly in the ACC with this total revenue sharing. And honestly, it's the same thing for the college football playoff. As you mentioned, I mean, Florida state played in, a couple, but it's been a while. <laughs> Clemson has been the most recent and we haven't had anybody for the last two years. 
as we expanded the playoff to 12 teams uh, starting in 2024, um, you know, the goal of the ACC as a conference is going to be, let's get at least two in there, not just one, but two in there. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's part of the motivation for both the, let's go to the uh, 14 team conferences at a two seventeen division model. And also the, the championship game being the top two teams instead of, uh, two division champs. So you, you give yourself a chance to maybe, you know, have two teams make that playoff. Um, that gives you the ability to bring some more money in. Uh, and certainly if, you know, I, I would think that the top contenders for that, um, I don't know if Carolina is going to be good enough by 2024. I think Drake may is probably only going to be one more year in college. Yeah, uh, the Carolina quarterback. Uh, yeah. You know, Clemson's got to be getting their way back up that that in that direction. We we assume that might be the case. Florida State had a 10 win season last year. We'll see if Mike Norvell can continue to build on that. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's incentivizing. But it's still incentivizing within. Uh, a smaller pot than what the Big Ten and uh, SEC. Right now, the discrepancy is around $20 million a year just from the TV money to schools. The ACC schools are getting paid out around $37 million a year. Uh, the Big Ten and SEC are closer to $55 to $60 million per year. And by the end of the decade, that discrepancy is supposed to be more in the $50 million per year range. Um, so the work's got to be there's, – there's more work to be done there. Um, and uh, it's not like ESPN is just going to magically say, here's some more money. We, we, we feel sorry for you, ACC. We're going to give you more money in your TV deal. Uh, so, uh, you know, there's going to have to be some some creative uh, work there on the part of Jim Phillips and the the crew. Um, I, so I, I see this this move this week solidifying what was talked about last week is just a step in the direction. There's a lot more steps need to be made. Yeah, I would agree. Uh and some of the Magnificent Seven haven't been that magnificent in terms of postseason play. If you go back and look at NC State, Virginia Tech, and Virginia, I mean, uh, not a lot there to to garner in terms of, of being able to earn a lot of extra money. Uh, so some some of the Magnificent Seven just haven't haven't gotten the job done. So, uh, and you know. None of those th three football programs look are forecast to have great seasons this year either. So, uh, if, if Carla Williams could have uh, had some bank out of 2019, though, I mean, you know, Orange Bowl, yeah, and, uh, national championship. If you get seven, six games in a national in, in the NCAA tournament, that'd be 12 million dollars. Uh, whatever the Orange Bowl pays out, that would have been a good year for Virginia. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, that that was one of the banner years in in Virginia athletics for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I would think with the twelve team playoff format, I think probably be at least two ACC teams involved. I, I would think because I I know some of the schools are are putting a lot, uh, investing a lot into the football again, uh, not just in terms of money, but in uh, other resources, uh, facilities, and and coaching staffs, and and that sort of thing. Trying to stay abreast with the SEC if that's possible, and then, uh, but you know, it's, this is going to place a, a true hardship, I think, on some of the bottom teams in the league. I mean, you look at Boston College, Georgia Tech, um, perhaps Wake Forest. Uh, Duke, I know they've been good in basketball, but their football program hasn't uh, – well, they had a good season last year, but it didn't really 
Uh, it wouldn't have put them in the playoffs by any stretch, even if it was a 12-team playoff. But uh, some of these schools who are probably on a fairly tight budget to begin with, this is going to certainly um, have an effect on them. And I, I know just hearing scuttlebutt way back in the fall that uh, some of the, 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 thing, the thing to watch out for was that some of the schools wanted to eliminate, get rid of some of the bottom feeders from the conference, and, and that this was a way to do it by essentially strangling their finances. Um, I don't know if that would cause some of these teams to want to leave the ACC. I don't know where they would go. They would have to go to a, a smaller or a, a less than power five conference, I guess. But um, Makes you wonder about the future in that respect as well. It does. It does. You know, the the logical would logicals would be perhaps uh, you know Boston College. You mentioned Syracuse, uh, two schools that aren't geographic fits and really haven't paid off in terms of giving us access to media markets like we hoped. Uh, Pittsburgh's been successful in football, but I think you know logically they could make a move as well. I mean, I could see the big the Big Twelve saying to to Pitt, you know, come come and join us, and and well, you can play West Virginia every year. Um, and that, you know, then it gives West Virginia a travel partner. Yeah, um, Louisville too. And Louisville, yeah, perhaps Louisville too, Yeah, which is not a fit in a lot of ways with the ACC and hasn't been um, since the beginning. Um, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's it, 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 seeing where things are going to be heading um, in the next little bit. I mean, it could, it could, you know, the outside shot of the ACC perhaps uh imploding on itself doesn't seem as likely but it could be a, a remote possibility uh uh getting smaller certainly is is a possibility um i don't know that espn would have a problem with that um but uh the money the money is an issue and um you know the you know no matter who you are um uh in, in the acc everybody aspires to be i didn't say everybody everybody in that in, in that magnificent seven aspires to be more than what they are in football um, and, and that's, uh, that's been a, you know, John Swafford had the vision to make the ACC a, a more of a player in football. And it's, it's not his fault that it didn't work out. The, the, the move to bring Miami in the league, Miami's only uh, been in the ACC championship game once since it joined the league in 2004, Virginia tech was a, a, a big player early, uh, in their tenure in the ACC. But, uh, you know, since the, 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 the decline in Frank Beamer's last few years, uh, it's been about a decade of Virginia Tech not being a player on the national stage. Florida State suffered after Bobby Bowden. I mean, there were a couple of good years with Jimbo Fisher, but his tenure petered out when he left, left the cover bare, and they've been trying to figure things out ever since. You know, you sort of go down a list. Um, it, it, even Clemson has been struggling lately uh, the last two years not being in the in the playoff. Uh, the, the, the idea to make the ACC a football conference – largely hasn't hasn't played out the, the way Swafford intended and uh that's not his fault and now it's but now it's left to Jim Phillips to have to pick up the pieces uh football does drive the economy in, in college sports and you know the only way you can fix that is to <laughs> just have hope hope somebody gets better and can and can raise the the hope the fortunes of the whole league yeah and Gene Corgan recognized that back when he took over the reins as commissioner back in, I guess it was the early nineties. Um, he, I, I remember some people who were at that first meeting 
when at the, when Corrigan came in and uh, he said everybody in the office down at, in the big meeting room and said uh, we are not o- we are no longer just a basketball conference only we are going to be putting a strong emphasis on football and anyone who disagrees with that can get up and resign right now and some guy actually objected i won't say his name but uh corgan said blank you're fired <laughs> and uh it wasn't long before that guy was gone and so um corgan put a lot of emphasis on football he brought in um florida state obviously right right uh and that boosted uh the league's image for a long long time timing was perfect with uh the dynasty of Bobby Bowden. Um, but, you know, and then uh, s- certainly Swafford tried to follow in those footsteps. I remember uh, the ACC football tour. Uh, I started going on that in, in 1982, as soon as I got to Charlottesville. And uh, we were kind of on a shoestring budget. Uh, we'd take a bus all over the ACC, which wasn't as big then as it grew to be. Um, but when Corgan took over, uh, Brian Morrison, who was then the media relations director for football and basketball, uh, before the, the first ACC tour trip under the Corgan, uh, reign, um, Brian went into his office and said, Gene, what's, uh, what's the budget for the football tour? And Gene said, there is no budget. <laughs> you spend as much as you have to 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 spread ACC football, and so uh, uh, we had a we had, needless to say the thirty or forty of us on the, those football tours from then on um, had a blast. I mean, there were there were times where we would uh, take uh, the bus trip uh, from College Park throughout the ACC down to. Tallahassee would usually be our last stop. And if if Florida State or any other school was in one of the pre well, I won't call it a preseason game, but early season games like uh, the kickoff classic at the Meadowlands or the Disney Pigskin Classic in Anaheim, uh, the tour would end up going to those games at the, at the end of the tour. And uh, there were a few times we flew – we do the Meadowlands uh, game one night and next morning fly to California for uh, the Pigskin Classic the next night. And uh, the conference would rent uh, Cadillacs for, for us at the airport to, to for all of us to <laughs> drive to uh, from the LAX uh, to uh, wherever we were staying. And uh, we would close with a, a pretty incre- incredible dinner uh, after having a pretty incredible dinner in New York the night before. So uh, there truly was no budget. And, uh, <laughs> and that's that's when uh, these guys desperately tried to make the ACC a, a more visible conference in football. And uh, you got to give them credit. They, they tried as much as they might, but if you can't get it done on the football field, um, it's it's kind of off or not, but um, I, I don't know. I don't know what the mentality is now 
the conference is not uh, a warm, cuddly, fuzzy bear like it used to be to, to media. It's more like a cold corporate uh, TV extension of the TV channel, if you it, ask me. It really is. You know, they still, at least the ACC still feeds as well. Virginia feeds as boxed lunches. <laughs> um, so you can tell where where the butter's, the, the bread's buttered there. But uh, yeah, it's not to, you know, I, I was born late, apparently, Jerry. I was born 20 years too late. <laughs> yes, um, you were. <laughs> the only thing I know about uh, media now is that uh, there were a few years where, you know, it's, at least at Virginia, we got to interview players one-on-one and got to talk to coaches and stuff like that. But yeah, now it's very sanitized. Uh, uh, people sit at a table. Everybody lobs questions at them. It's it's very, very uh, you know, just corporate uh, corporate speak, corporate PR, pretty much. Uh, I'm gosh, I'm so jealous. That's it sounds like you guys had a lot of fun back in those days. We did. It was uh, it was uh, somebody should write a book about it one of these days. And uh, I don't I don't know if you could put everything in the book. That... I was going to say you might have to put. Yeah, the title of the book might be "Burn After Reading." <laughs> uh because I've, I've heard some of the stories i won't repeat them because i don't want to get anybody who's still alive in trouble and most of the guys are still alive but dang on you guys had some i know this uh, at acc kickoffs these stories after a couple of drinks come out and uh yeah you guys lived it up that was that was those were good days <laughs> truly was and um uh, nothing illegal but uh, <laughs> illegal. <laughs> it was uh it was a lot of fun Nothing illegal, uh, borderline immoral, somewhat unethical <laughs> at times, but no, nothing illegal. <laughs> oh God! Well, this some is more, crazy. some more immoral than others. <laughs> wow. Gosh, yeah. Um, well, this has been a good talk. Hey, Jerry, as we're getting ready to wrap up here, and this has been a fun. This has been a fun. We, we again, we thought we had nothing to talk about. We're almost at an hour now, so that's a, that means we've had, been having a good time. Uh, thank the sponsors for us to help make all this possible. Yeah, uh, thanks to Aberdeen Barn, fine, Virginia's finest steakhouse. Uh, wonderful place. If you haven't been there, you owe it to yourself to give it a try. And if if you've been there, you know how great it is with the food and the service and the atmosphere. Uh, go by and have a great juicy steak or some ribs. Um, all their food is magnificent. And um it's a fun place to to hang out. Uh, if you like Virginia history, there's uh, tons of photos of Virginia athletic history on the walls there uh, in photographs that uh, they have uh, put up to uh, just add to the atmosphere. And uh, you can go by, and if, if you're into watching TV or sports while you're uh, dining, uh, they have plenty of those available. Uh, so thank them so much for their sponsorship. Also, the Good Feet store at Stonefield with uh, Jonathan Cotton leading the way. Um, I just heard a uh, commercial by former Virginia player Jaden Gardner about how uh, after using the specially designed arches for his feet uh, in basketball, he said he felt like he was walking and running on pillows. And uh, I can attest to that as well, because I, I went by and had uh, specially designed arches for my shoes. And uh, that has definitely uh, made walking. And I don't run anymore, but I, I used to run a lot. Um, but uh, it's made walking a, a effortless pleasure. And uh, 
So if, if you're having discomfort or even if you're not having discomfort uh, running or walking, go by and uh, and check it out. It's worth your time and worth your money to take advantage of what they have to offer. And uh, also Roback, uh, locally owned um, sportswear company that has all the latest designs, very comfortable clothing, uh, very attractive clothing, and uh, very affordable. And uh, again, you're supporting a local company that's growing into a national contender for um, to uh, take over sportswear in, in the United States. So uh, check out their ad on my website. You can get a nice discount on your first order if you follow the directions. And uh, we want to thank all three of those people for their uh, support and all the people, the other advertisers who support our website, jerryratcliffe.com, that makes all of this content possible and uh, keeps us alive and well. So <laughs> please support these sponsors because you're Unknown caller. supporting uh, supporting jerryratcliffe.com as well. I need to get over to the Good Feet store. I've taken up running again, Jerry. And uh, uh -oh. this, this idea of uh, walking and running on air from Jaden Gardner I want to feel that. I want to see how that works. So I've got to get over there pretty soon. Um, maybe I'll make a two for Ford and, and also then, you know, get myself some some steak. Uh, they're not too far from each other. So that's right. It's just right, right around the corner. So yeah, yeah. Knock yeah. out two big birds with one stone there. There we go. There we go. Well, uh, thanks to all those sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listeners and viewers on YouTube. Uh, thanks to Jerry Radcliffe, the Hall of Famer. I am Chris Graham signing off. Everyone have a great week.